The Old Testament reading is found on page four of your bulletin uh, and comes from Exodus chapter two, verses one through 10. Exodus two, one through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the ch child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Well, for those of you that have been in our congregation for a while, you know that we are not just a single congregation, but we are part of a family, a network of three churches. The Grace DC Network has three churches in it, Grace Downtown, Grace Meridian Hill, and Grace Mosaic. And during Advent, we basically rotate pastors to our different congregations. So you have a chance to hear from some of the other pastors, and it's a chance for the pastors to really enjoy uh, the other parts of the family, like I did this morning at Mosaic. And so Pastor Russ is going to preach for us. Come on up here, brother. Uh, Russ, uh, I had a chance to be with Mosaic this morning, as I said, and what a delightful just body that God has raised up here through the efforts of this brother and his wife, Vanessa. And, you know, Russ uh, has a legacy here. I'm just curious because, you know, time goes. How many of you were here when Russ was an associate pastor with us? Okay. Man, you see, people stay. That's great. All right. So anyway, what I'm going to say is you're used to all the jokes he's going to make about me, so just ignore those and uh, let him, you know, anyway, let me pray for you. Thank you so much for this, brother Lord. Thank you for his gifts, his faith, his joy, and his heart uh, for you and your people. And we eagerly now uh, wait for you to feed us through his uh, labor of love in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. Thanks, bro. I'm going to say good morning, family. Good evening, family. It's good to be with y'all this evening. I think I already have a foretaste of what's coming tonight because when I got in the car, I asked my daughter, Tiana, I said, when's the last time you were at downtown? And she said, on Black Friday? I was like, Black Friday? You mean Good Friday? She's like, like yeah, Bad Friday. I was like, no, Good Friday. What is this? Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. It's good to be with y'all this morning, this evening. I'm sorry. How about this? How about I pray and ask the Lord to help me right now 
and help us to sit under God's word for the moment. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word that you've revealed yourself, that you have not remained hidden, but that you have allowed us to get a glimpse of who you are and allowed us to see the grace that you have made available to us in the gospel. And we pray that this evening our hearts would be touched by the good news of your grace. We pray that you'd help us to not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. We pray that you would take my five loaves and two fish and feed your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be familiar with the reality that it has become somewhat commonplace for people in business speak to talk about cutting out the middleman. Cut out the middleman. Get rid of the middleman. People don't want to have this intermediary uh, involved in their business transactions. The idea is that you can get your content cheaper and maybe quicker if you get rid of the middleman, if you get rid of the intermediary. After all, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to haggle with a car salesman in order to get your vehicle? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to pay an additional five bucks to have a Starbucks coffee? Wouldn't that be nice? You would automatically think, yes, absolutely. But I was reading an article in Forbes magazine because, you know, I'm a cosmopolitan kind of man. And uh, <laughs> I was reading this article where there was a review of this, this book that recently came out. Uh, and the title of the article was this, Don't Eliminate the Middleman. He's much too valuable. And in this article, a man named Bill Connerly reviews a book by Marina Krakowski in which she argues that eliminating the middleman isn't always a good idea. And so in her book, The, the Middleman Economy, she, she makes the case for this role by offering a few different types of middleman that you see in business. And she gives them names. She talks about the middleman whose name is The Bridge. And the bridge spans physical and social distance to connect us to a product. I mean, do you really want to have to do it yourself when it comes to trying to get some kind of, you know, basmati rice from India? Do you really want to do that? No. You need a bridge. There's the certifier. And the certifier ensures the quality of the goods or services we need to make sure the thing that you're really after comes to you with the kind of quality you were expecting. There's the risk bearer. The risk bearer personally takes the risk involved in connecting us to a service. They assume it all on themselves. There's the concierge. And the concierge reduces the time and the cost of a transaction. They know how to get to it immediately. And they know how to reduce the price for the purchaser. And then finally, there's the insulator. The insulator makes difficult requests that we cannot make for ourselves. Now, here's the deal. Though modern-day spirituality uh, would want to take the same tact of cutting out the middleman, you know, this mystical, ethereal version of contemporary spirituality, where you don't really have to deal with any God in particular. It's kind of about divine encounter, sort of mystical. Though modern-day spiritualities may have no use for the middleman, you could make the case that the entire sweep and scope of the scriptures, the Christian faith, 
is all about our need for a middleman. If I could borrow from the title of the article I read, you you could say that the summary of the Christian faith is this, don't eliminate the middleman. He's much too valuable. The overarching theme of scripture is that we have no hope for a connection to God without the middleman, without the mediator, Jesus Christ. At the heart of the gospel are the words of the Apostle Paul when he said there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We need a middleman. We need a mediator. We need someone to go in between us and God. We need a middleman. The big idea of our Advent series this year is that we want to explore the theme of Jesus as our mediator, but we want to approach this theme through the Old Testament birth narratives. Now, what we're saying is that all of Scripture has been written for us, and it leads up to that one climactic moment in the coming of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. It all leads up to that climactic moment, and everything after that in the New Testament flows out of it. The New Testament in the Old is concealed. The Old Testament in the New is revealed, says St. Augustine. Everything flows to the cross. Everything flows to God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And so what we want to do is we want to take our best attempt at a creative approach to helping us to get new perspective, to gain added layers on what we have during this Advent season. And so, today we're going to frame up the big picture of our Advent series as I take on the theme of mediator in the birth narrative of Moses in Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to approach our text through two points this evening where we see the context of the mediator and the calling of the mediator. We're going to consider the context of the mediator and the calling of the of the mediator. So let's look at our first point as we consider the context of the mediator. Now, before I dig into the context of the mediator, I want to say a quick word about the theological framework of mediator. Now, in our theological outlook here in our network, when we talk about the mediator, we are talking about what we understand to be the pinnacle expression of what God has done for us in Jesus. Historically, through our theological tradition, we talk about Christ as mediator, and that one office is expressed in a threefold way. He is the mediator in threefold way. That is, he's the mediator as the prophet, the priest, and the king. These offices converge in the one office of mediator. This threefold office converges into the one, which is mediator. Now, there's a unity to that work of mediator in Jesus. And what we mean is this. In his prophetic ministry, Jesus executes his prophetic ministry in a priestly and kingly way. He executes his priestly ministry in a prophetic and kingly way. And he executes his kingly ministry in a prophetic and priestly way. There is a unity to the way he works this out. There were kings There were prophets, there were priests, but Jesus is the one in whom all three converge. 
Why are they necessary? Why are they important? This is why. As prophet, Jesus clearly proclaims redemption. As priest, he graciously obtains redemption. And as king, he authoritatively completes redemption. As prophet, he speaks for God. As priest, he leads us to God. And as king, he joins us to God. So that's what we're hoping for you to see, different facets of this one office, mediator. And so I have the overarching theme, mediator. And Glenn and Duke and Mike and Yancey will preach on Christmas are going to take those various facets, but I'm taking the comprehensive piece tonight, mediator. And it begins in a context of our passage. We have read had read for us Exodus chapter 2. And Exodus chapter 2 is the birth narrative of Moses. But what you have to appreciate is what comes before that. Because context is everything when it comes to appreciating this birth narrative and, and when it comes to appreciating God's mediator. Immediately before we get the birth narrative of Moses, we are told of the dire straits in which Israel finds herself. The story of chapter 1 finds Israel as a people oppressed and burdened under the yoke of slavery. Chapter 1 of Exodus tells us that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, became afraid of these people, that they might rise up and rebel. And so out of his fear, he responds by putting them into slavery. The text says it like this, that he set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. The text tells us that the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. So Israel was longing for release from slavery. They were languishing under these oppressive circumstances. For years and years, hundreds of years, they cried out for the Lord's deliverance. They yearned for freedom from oppression, tyranny, and captivity. And just when things seemed like they couldn't get any worse, things took a turn for the disastrous. Because the more and more the king of Egypt tried to oppress the people of Israel, the more and more they flourished. Side note, God is able to make you flourish even in the context of felt oppression. The more and more they were squeezed by Pharaoh, the more and more God blessed them. The more and more God met them. And so when those measures didn't work, Pharaoh decided to enact a maniacal plan that he was going to hang a death sentence over every male child of the Hebrews. He was going to hang a death sentence over every male child of the Hebrews. These are the chilling words from his mouth. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile the Nile River, every male child cast into the river. This is the edict that he hands down to his people. This is what you're to enact among those Israelites. 
We then come to the birth narrative of Moses, the mediator. The way in which the narrator sets us up is incredible. And I want you to see what's going on here. Because the narrator is purposely trying to frame up for you the context of God's mediator. It's within this specific context that he tells you about the coming of the mediator. Do you see this? He's showing us that the mediator is uniquely suited to be the mediator because he was born into solidarity with the people he was going to serve. He was born into solidarity with the people he was going to serve. He was born into the conflict of his people. He was born amidst the fears of his people. He was born under the evil tyranny, abusive power, and oppression of his people. He was born under the same death sentence as his people. All Hebrew boys, we're told, are to be thrown into the Nile, according to the edict of Pharaoh. When his mother cannot hide him any longer, she prepares a basket for him. And as the tears stream down her face, she reluctantly lets him go into the danger. She pushes him off. And little sister runs along to see what, what is going to happen to him. It's a heartbreaking scene, you would think. But what we're going to learn is that Moses, though he was thrown into the Nile like the other Hebrew baby boys, he was the one who was going to be thrown into the Nile, the instrument of death, and yet was going to emerge with his life. Though he was a common Israelite, he is adopted into the royal family of Egypt. Do you see how our passage is preparing us to understand the context of our mediator? Do you see this? The, the, the narrative of, of Moses the mediator in his birth is preparing us to appreciate Jesus the mediator in his birth. When we fast forward to the opening of the New Testament, we meet another who was uniquely suited to be the mediator of his people because he was born into their very context to share in their sorrows and their afflictions. He was born into solidarity with his people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Jesus was born into the conflict of his people. He was born amidst the fears of his people. He was born under the evil tyranny, abusive power, and oppression of his people. He was born under the same death sentence as his people. Because later on, Herod would enact a death sentence on all the baby boys in Jerusalem. A death sentence that would come over Jesus. And yet he would emerge with his life. And yet there was a deeper, heavier death sentence that hung over Jesus as he 
came, came into the world in solidarity with his people, and it was the death sentence that hung on everyone's head because of their sin before a holy God. He enters in in solidarity. The picture of Moses' mother fighting the tears and pain to reluctantly let go of her son can barely begin to scratch the surface of what must have been going on in the heart of God the Father when it came time for him to freely and lovingly send his son into the very world that would reject him and despise him and ridicule him and dishonor him as he came to redeem that very world. The pain of a mother letting go of her child into the Nile, infested with crocodiles, not knowing what's going to happen. It just scratches the surface. Can you get a sense of what was going on in the heart of God when it came time for him to give his son? Think on it. Moses' little sister was running along the side of the bank wondering what was going to happen to baby brother Moses. But all of heaven knew what was going to happen to God's son when he was sent into the world. God had no question about what was going to happen. That he would be falsely accused, unjustly sentenced to death, and that he would hang on the cross like a criminal so that he could set free the true criminal. It's an amazing picture that we have here. Jesus was not the only one who would go to the cross, but Jesus was the only one who would go to the cross, that instrument of death, and yet emerge from it alive, showing that he had the keys to death and hell in his hand, that death could not hold him, the grave could not handle him, he could not be stopped by the grim reaper. He shows his authority. And in his solidarity with us, he becomes completely qualified to heal us. You may have heard me say it before, but I'll say it again because it bears repeating every year. This is the distinctive of the Christian faith. That God himself enters into the world. He's caught dead wearing human flesh, but he comes and he assumes everything that he intends to heal. If he did not assume it, if he did not take it on, the church fathers would say, he could not heal it. He took on everything that is common to humanity except sin so that he could heal the fullness of our humanity. He doesn't just want you to flourish spiritually. He wants you to flourish emotionally and socially and physically, holistically. Jesus came for that. So that we would flourish not just as individuals, but socially, corporately. Jesus came for that. He came to heal the social schism and ruin and brokenness and systemic oppression and brokenness. That's why he came. And no one else was qualified, is qualified, will ever be qualified to be our mediator. Don't cut out the middleman. He's too valuable. This is our mediator. Moses 
was a common Israelite, and he was adopted into the royal family. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus was divine royalty itself, and he adopted humanity into his family. It's a beautiful switch up that we see in this mediator. The birth of Christ, the ultimate mediator, breaks through the despair and the hopelessness of the human story. When you see the mediation of Jesus, when you see his solidarity with humankind in its ugliness, in its ruin, in its despair, in its conflict, in its loss, one thing that it challenges every Christian to do is to consider the ways in which they show solidarity with the least of these in this world. That is at the essence of our salvation that God himself came in solidarity to us. We ought to be the kind of people who stand in solidarity with others in their loss and their brokenness. This is the context of the mediator he shares with us. But this brings us to the next point where we consider the calling of the mediator. The calling of the mediator. I think it's a powerful thing that we get in Exodus chapter 2 as we come to the back part of the birth narrative. The back part of the birth narrative tells us that at a certain time, once Moses is weaned from his mom, it's time for her to give him once again back to the daughter of Pharaoh, who's bringing him into the family. And then what the text tells us is that when the daughter of Pharaoh gets Moses, he becomes her son and she names him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, there's lots of scholarly debate about this name, Moses, and its significance. Some scholars believe that Moses was just like another common name of any Egyptian prince. Egyptian princes were given what you call theophoric names. That means that the name of their god is in the name. So there were actually people in Egypt called Tut Moses, and it meant that Moses is the son of the god. I mean, he was the son of the god Tut. There were other, uh, other people who were named after other gods. And so some people think that the name Moses means that he's the son of the God. And then other people say, no, this is referring to the Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the name Moses sounds like the verb for drawing out. And so the, the daughter of Pharaoh is naming Moses uh, this name because she is trying to uh, capture what happened when she drew him out of the Nile River. But what we see in the text is that the text is simply content to allow him to be named after the drawing out. But what we're going to see is that his name becomes his destiny. 
His name becomes a depiction of his calling. Because though Moses was drawn out of the Nile himself, his calling relative to his people is going to be to draw them out of slavery, to draw them out of oppression, to draw them out of the land of Egypt so they can go to the land of promise and worship their God. His name reveals his calling. And that's what we see working out through the rest of the story of the Exodus. When he goes to battle for his people and he speaks truth to power and he says, the God of Israel says, let my people go that they may come and worship me in the land I have designated. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? And Moses says, you're going to find out. <laughs> and so he brings plague after plague on Egypt. But one of the things that I always find interesting about the plague narratives in, in the, the Exodus is that you don't hear of anyone dying in the first nine plagues. It's as if the mediator, Moses, is not only mediating for Israel, but he's trying to extend warning and welcome and invitation to all the Egyptians in the land to let them know there is no God like our God. There is no one like him. And I think it's beautiful that there is mention of the fact that once Israel is led out of Egypt, it says that they went up with a mixed multitude. That means there were some Egyptians who got hip and they said, hey, I don't know about you, but I'm going with the God who brought all the flies and the frogs and all that. I'm not fooling with this anymore, right? But he mediates. He, he, is, he is the mediator as he leads the people out of slavery. He is the mediator who brings them water from a rock and bread from heaven in the wilderness. He is the mediator who brings them the very words of God, who leads them up the mountain, and he comes back down the mountain with the very words of God that are meant to regulate and organize their social life and their religious life and spiritual life as a community. He is their mediator when they sin, when they are guilty of idolatry. And he goes before the Lord and he says, for the sake of your name and your glory, spare them, renew them. He's the mediator of the people. And it's, it's in the life of Moses, in his naming to his calling. We are led to the beginning of Matthew's gospel where his parents, Mary and Joseph, are told, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. One greater than Moses, who was given a name greater than Moses so that he could enact a mediation greater than the mediation of Moses, a salvation greater than the salvation of Moses, he leads his people out of a deeper slavery to a greater enemy. He leads his people out, a mixed multitude, Jews, Gentiles, people from every tribe, every nation, every language. He leads them and he, he gives them water himself. He is the living water. He is the bread from heaven. He goes up the mountain and he gives them what? He gives them the sermon on the mount and he flips everything on its head. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. 
He gives them a new guidance. And then even still in his ascension, when he goes back to the Father, he sends back down not the law, but his spirit to organize his community, to show them the way they're supposed to live when we continually, day after day, time after time, yes, you and me, fall into idolatry. The recent vintage is political idolatry. When we fall in, we have a mediator who goes ahead of us, who stands before us and pleads our case. His calling is bound up in his name. He is our salvation. And it's because of his context that he is able to fulfill his calling to rescue us, to be our redeemer, to be our go-between. As I close, the gospel economy is a middleman economy in which our mediator, Jesus Christ, is the bridge who spans physical and social distance to connect us to God. He is the certifier who ensures the quality of the righteousness and atonement that he brings to us. He is the risk bearer who personally took the risks involved in connecting us to God once again. He is the concierge who doesn't just reduce the time and the cost of our redemption. He eliminates that time and that cost completely, saying, today is the day of salvation. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This very moment, he says to the thief, you will be with me in paradise instantaneously and he removes the cost I love how Isaiah 55 puts it come you who are thirsty come to the waters and he who has no money somebody say no money he who has no money if you're broke as a joke if you got no ends if you have if you are spiritually bankrupt you can come and feast here you can come and lay hold of this salvation And he's the insulator who makes difficult requests for forgiveness and grace on our behalf. When we couldn't work up the nerve to come before a holy God. Think about that. I I always love how it's put in in that hymn we sing, the Advent. Rank on rank the hosts of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day it talks about the angels the vanguard they're they're providing the tunnel as the light of lights comes down into the darkness Wing on wing, the six-winged cherub, he, he covers his eyes. You would never have the boldness or the courage to try and justify yourself before this God if you stood before him, seeing all that he is, seeing all that you are. But there is one who stands in the gap and pleads your case. This is the good news of our mediator. And I'm wrapping with this application. There is a powerful message for you and I 
to walk away with this Advent as we live in the midst of this city in particular, in the midst of this season in particular, we ought to be a mediatorial community, the kind of community that is seeking to make peace between warring parties, the kind of community that is trying to make one out of two, the kind of community that is helping through solidarity with the hurting. That is an important calling. And if you recognize barriers in your own soul that are stopping you from being a mediator, bring those before this gospel and let the warmth of this gospel soften your cold heart so that you will begin to see that this is what God has always been out to produce. He's always been after a a community that is a mediatorial community, a, a prophetic community community that speaks for God, about God, so that people may come to know him. A priestly community, a community that makes sacrifice in order to see people connected to God. A kingly community that leads in righteousness, that seeks to protect the vulnerable, the disenfranchised, and the poor. This is the community. If you look through the story of Scripture, what it's trying to tell you is that the mediator is trying to produce a community that functions as a mediator in the world, prophetically, priestly, kingly. Let's make this our prayer. Let's take this into community groups this week as a spark for new faith, for new repentance, for new boldness, for new courage, for new comfort. He is the middleman we've always needed. Don't cut out the middleman. He's far too valuable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of Advent. We thank you that though there is no one like you, you are unique and holy in all your ways, yet you, the holy God, became like us so that we could become like you. We pray, God, that you would beautify us by the power of the Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would help us, those of us who are still working through doubts and questions of life and faith and wrestling with it all, Lord, we pray that you would help us to to make progress, help us to take this story seriously. We pray that you would help us Though we may not have all of the answers, help us to consider the most important issues of the matter. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be the kind of community that mediates in this city for the good of this city and the flourishing of this city. We pray that you would use us in these ways for your purposes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.